I'm Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and it is my joy to bring our message today. So glad you're here. Let me pray for us before we start. Father God, of all the stories that you could have preserved for us, of all the moments when Jesus interacted with um, your people, your children on this earth, you gave us the stories of these two people. And I pray, Father, that through the power of your word, that this morning, their stories of how Jesus loved them and interacted with them and stopped for them, that their stories would instruct, instruct our hearts, our minds, and our souls. God, would you use your word to change us, draw us closer to you, redirect us, help us to learn to be more like you. We ask and pray that. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we we're talking about two people this morning. Two people who have run out of answers in and of themselves. They've run out of their own resources. They've run out of their own wisdom, their own strength. They are needing something beyond themselves. And they both come to Jesus for it. The first person is a father, he's a daddy. And he's desperate. His name is Jairus. And he's one of the leaders of the Jewish synagogue, the place of teaching and worship for the Jews. And he would have been a spiritual leader, but he was most likely also a successful benefactor that was a supporter of the synagogue. And all the people would have respected him and looked to him for answers and looked to his leadership. But he's come to the end of himself. He knows he needs something beyond himself. He goes and he falls down before Jesus and he says, my little daughter is sick. She's dying. My only daughter, who's 12 years old. Will you come and lay your hands on her that she might be made well and live? Friends, if you want to see any strong man crumble, let his little girl get sick. And so Jairus is so brave because people are mixed. The, the rabbis are mixed on what they think about Jesus at this point. Some think he's maybe a prophet. Others think he's speaking blasphemy. And so they're mixed on what they think about Jesus. And Jairus has come to the end himself. He knows he needs more than he has. And so he breaks rank with his peers. And he says, no, I believe that he is who he says he is. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls down in desperation, and he says, will you come? And it's so beautiful in the scriptures because Jesus immediately comes with them. And now the crowd realizes that Jesus is probably going to do a healing. And so all of the people around begin to gather, and the excitement rises, and, and they realize he's going to go and heal the daughter. And so the crowd, this huge crowd, the scripture says that the people were pressing in on Jesus, and there were literally throngs of people around him. Now they're all moving together towards Jairus' home to see this little girl healed. And in the midst of all that chaos, imagine that crowd, that anticipation, everybody's moving together. In the midst of that is our other person. And she's hiding. See, Jairus can come openly to Jesus. The crowd respects him, and, and they actually perceive that Jairus is worthy of, of Jesus' healing, his daughter. But she has to come in hiding. She's actually praying that she won't be seen. She won't 
be noticed. And she's desperate too because she has had a disease for 12 years that has had her bleeding endlessly for 12 years. And in that society, when you were bleeding, it meant that you were unclean and that anybody that touched you would become unclean. And so this is the reality of who this precious woman is. If she sat in a chair, nobody could sit in it behind her. If she laid in a bed, nobody could lay in it behind her because they would become unclean. Nobody has hugged her for 12 years. Nobody has touched her for 12 years. Nobody's befriended her. Nobody's been her companion. She is literally, utterly, completely, desperately alone. The scriptures are clear. It says she spent all of her money on doctors, and not only did she not get better, she got worse. So here's who she is. She can't find healing. She would be a beggar at this point, the town beggar, because a woman's options were um, get married and be a wife and mother, almost everybody's goal, unless they were a very wealthy woman, be a beggar or be a prostitute. So she's a town beggar. And she's incredibly weak. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Almost every woman in this society was married. So did she have a family? Did she have a family before she got sick and she has a husband and children that she can't touch, she can't be with? Or did this disease deprive her of ever being a mother, ever being a wife, because no one can be near her, no one can touch her? She's reached the end of herself, and she admits and believes that she needs Jesus' help. Well, years and years and years before we meet these two desperate people for very different reasons, the prophet Malachi wrote this. He said, the Messiah is coming. All throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ is coming. He'll be the healer. He'll be the rescuer. He said this, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness, that's the Messiah, that's the Christ, will rise with healings on his wings. The son, of, the son of righteousness, the Messiah, the Christ, will rise with healings on his wings. And that word wings there in the Greek is the same word for the hem, the very bottom of a rabbi's cloak. So rabbis still today wear prayer shawls. They're a rectangular piece of cloth, and they wear them like a shawl over their shoulders. And at the bottom hangs fringe at the bottom of their prayer shawl. And they'll pull it up on their head when they're in prayer. And in Jesus' time, it was known by everyone that when the Messiah came, when the Christ came, all we would have to do is just touch the fringe of his garment to be healed. All I have to do is just get near enough to touch the fringe of his garment, and I'll be healed. And so the woman begins to weave through the crowd. She's doing it on purpose because she's come to believe that this is the Messiah. And if I can just get close enough to touch the fringe of his garment, I might actually be healed. She's moving with the faith of a child, friends. See, we as adults, we have this ability to, to move with skepticism or doubt or questions. But suffering, when you suffer, you either sink into yourself or you reach for something more than yourself. And she's suffering. And she goes to reach for this Jesus, this teacher who she believes is the Messiah. And imagine her, that 
Remember the throngs of people, the, the intentionality all moving towards Jairus' home to touch this little girl. And for her to get to the fringe of his prayer shawl, she would have had to at least be on her knees, maybe on her face in this crowd. She reaches him, still hidden, and she touches the fringe of his prayer shawl. And the scripture says immediately the discharge of blood stops. I imagine that she, she felt the healing, and I imagine that she immediately thought, I forgot what it feels like to be well. I forgot. It says that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd, and he says, who touched my clothes? So imagine this crowd moving forward. She, in shame and hiddenness, comes through, is on her face in the dirt, touches his prayer shawl, and as soon as he realizes that power has gone out, he stops the whole crowd, and he says, who touched my clothes? Imagine the reactions. The woman, I imagine, would have caught her breath, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be known, realizing that she had been healed, not, healed, not wanting to be called out. Jairus, Jairus, this sweet dad, this desperate dad would have said, who cares? <laughs> he was thinking, who cares who touched you? Please come, please come to reach my daughter. The crowd. I imagine some of the people around him kind of step back like, well, I didn't mean to touch you. If I touched you, I didn't, I didn't mean to touch you. And the disciples are like, there's people all around you. Everybody is touching you. Jesus, again, the crowd has stopped. Again, he says, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, y'all, this is so beautiful because at this moment, the woman realizes, I can't stay hidden any longer. The scriptures say, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, that was her plan, go unnoticed, stay hidden, came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. In the presence of all these people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed Mark says she told the whole truth. This is so beautiful to me, because imagine this moment. When that crowd saw her and realized she was the unclean beggar in town and that she had dared to come up and touch the teacher, making him unclean, when, when they saw her, they would have been filled with anger and condemnation. That crowd would have turned on her. She's on her face in front of Jesus, but this is what's so beautiful. In the midst of all that anger and condemnation, in the presence of Jesus, she felt safe enough to tell her story. I, I probably would have just mumbled out, it, it was me, I'm sorry. Because of the anger, because of the condemnation, because of the shame. But all of those people, all of their, their anger and their judgment fades away when she's in the presence of Jesus, and it says she's able to tell him her whole truth. I imagine her story just spilled out, and she's, she's telling about the doctors, and she's telling about the pain, and she's telling about the loneliness, and it's just spilling out unfiltered in the presence of Jesus. I think she would want us to know this morning that your whole truth is safe with Jesus. The world tells us, put up this 
this pretense, put up this ability that everything's okay, and, and, and we're, we should go around and move among each other that way. And I want you to know, if you've never heard this before, that your whole truth, the good, the bad, the ugly, the history, the, it's safe with him. She spills out her story. And again, the reactions. I believe that her head is still down, but friends, not in shame anymore. In humility and gratitude. No more shame. She's, she's there before him. The crowd is angry and waiting for Jesus' response. Jairus is still urgent and pleading for him to come. And this is what Jesus says in that moment. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He begins with the fact that he did heal her physically, and it was her fate that he was the Messiah that healed her physically, but he moves into something even more important. And it's a way that we did not anticipate before Jesus walked among us that he would heal. And that's spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. And he heals her with one word. You ready? Daughter. Daughter, he calls her. He's looking, this is instructional to this crowd, to the angry, condemning people in the crowd. He says, you know this woman that you've been shaming and ignoring and isolating? I call her daughter. I call her child. She's mine. And now she will be a part of our family. She's clean. She's whole. She's my chosen child. One word. Jesus interacted with her and healed her physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. But then he does go on with Jairus and he touches that little girl and he heals her as well. Why these two stories right beside? Why does God preserve Jairus' story, the leader, respected businessman, the benefactor, the leader in the community, and this hidden woman, this shamed hidden woman? Why together? I think it's urgent that we realize that Jesus stopped on his way, on his urgent way, to help a somebody in society. He allowed himself to be interrupted on the way to a somebody by what we would perceive as a nobody. Because that's all us. We say there's somebodies and nobodies. Jesus, he just sees his children. He allows himself to be interrupted. And so we're in this series and we're saying, okay, here's this, this leader man and this hidden woman and we're seeing how Jesus interacts with them and we're asking ourselves, Father, how do I react more like Jesus, love more like Jesus, see things more like Jesus? And so here are just some thoughts for us from the woman's perspective, what she would say about that moment with Jesus. She would say, you know what? I was hiding. I was hiding. Society had taught me to hide. Um, they told me I should hide. I had gotten really good at hiding, at being unseen. But when she encountered Jesus, he lovingly brought out into the open what she thought she had to hide. He lovingly brings out into the open all of these pieces of her that she was so convinced that she had to hide. He brought them out not to reprimand her, but to accept her, to include her, 
to make her whole. He essentially loved her in a way that said, it's okay for you to not be all okay. You're still my child. I think the woman would say, all I knew was shame. All I felt was shame. And with one word, we said that he healed her. He called her daughter. He included her. He brought her in. And so we're going to love more like Jesus. What is the one word that we might offer people that are near us? Is it come? Is it join? Is it belong? Is it be known? I get to hear a lot of your stories, and it's one of the greatest privileges of my life. So here's some of the stories about how some of you came to sit in this circle. There was a young girl who had moved here as a senior in high school. Tough. Tough to move as a senior in high school. And she had just bought Bob Goff's book. And she was sitting in Summit by herself because she didn't know anybody. And one of our ministry partners was literally walking through Summit and said, hey, that's a great book. Kept walking. And she said, really? She didn't know anybody. Next thing you knew, they were talking. And then the ministry partner said, you know what? You, you're new. You ought to come this Sunday. She's now a youth leader in our church and a young life minister. Amazing. Another family was renovating their home, right? And, and they had to move into an apartment while the renovation was happening. And they have this crazy dog, Remy. And Remy decided on his own that he would go next door and visit the chocolate lab in the apartment of these people over here that they didn't know. So Remy the evangelist goes over there to meet the dog next door. And these people become friends. And they say, hey, you should come to our church. Another guy was working out with his trainer, and they had become friends. They had worked out together now for, like, years and years. And the guy was going through a hard patch, and he said, Hey, man, like, you love service stuff. Why don't you come on this mission trip with us? And he did. And now he's integral in our family. It was, I think the woman would say, God has put you in the place that you're in so very intentionally. In, in your workplace, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. He has you knowing the people that you know for a very intentional, beautiful picture that he is unfolding. And he would say to us, I think the woman would say, are you just near those people or do you really see them? Do you really see them? Is their story safe with you? Do you ask about their story? When they tell you your story, is it okay for them to not be okay? Is, is that safe with you? The power of one word for you to change a life, friends. Come, join, belong, be known. It's okay that you're not all okay. You'll fit right in here. One more thing. That woman... Everybody's trying to decide what they think about Jesus. And that woman made up her mind that she needed something beyond herself. She needed Jesus. And she pushed and fought through that crowd at great risk to herself just to touch the fringe of his garment. She followed a prompting that she had from God, an inner prompting, this is the Messiah. I believe it and I want him. Jesus followed a prompting too. 
He could have let her be healed and stay unnoticed, stay in her shame, stay, stay hidden. And so she would have been healed physically and never made whole again relationally and emotionally. He could have done that, but he stopped. He stopped. And he instructed this whole crowd, but especially her, you are my beautiful child whom I love. So maybe the woman would say, when you have those inner promptings, they're so very important. I was healed inside and out by that nudge inside of me. And so God is placing those nudges in you where you are for very incredibly important reasons for his children that you might be a part of drawing them in. And so as we are instructed by this precious woman, by the way, it strikes me that her story has been told and told and told, and we don't know her name. I look forward to knowing her name one day. But as we're instructed by her, how could we love more like Jesus? Maybe we need to be more interruptible. Maybe we need to sort of look at our day that we got all planned and the whole schedule and go, you know what? I have this nudge that I'm supposed to stop and ask and speak and engage. Maybe we need to be the kind of person when people are around us, they don't feel like they need to hide. That, that the places where they're not okay will be met with genuine loving invitation and care. Maybe we need to ask somebody's story that is right there in our life on purpose. Care about their story, hear their story, give it the time and attention that Jesus would. And maybe God is reminding us, when you feel that little nudge in you, that's me. That's me, and I want to use you as my arms and hands and feet and heart in this very hurt, very broken world that people might hear the words, come, belong, be known. Feel the grace of these people and the grace of your God who calls you child, daughter, son. Let me pray for us. Father God, forgive us for so many times that our busyness, um, it crowds out your nudges. It may even crowd out your voice sometimes, and it's, it's the pressure of this world, and it's a real pressure and one that we need to handle. But God, would you remind us that your nudges and your voice, they're so very, very intentional God, would you forgive us for times when someone has shared a story with us and it wasn't safe? Help us to be people who are safe. That someone can be not okay with us and that's okay because we're all broken in some way. God, help us to be the kind of people that will stop and, and care about someone's story. Let them be known. Let them escape some of the hiding and the shame that they're carrying and be met with a genuine love. Oh, Father, help us grow in these ways. Thank you for the story of Jairus and this precious woman that one day we will know her name.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.